friends, and welcome to Beauty, the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a grassroots storytelling initiative that invites women to belong in the world with substance and with strength. Over the course of the past several months, I have sat down with women and asked them to share their body stories with me. We talk about everything in these interviews. We talk about bodies that are too fat or too thin or too strong or too weak. We talk about belonging and beauty and all of the ways that we have attempted to acquire both of these things. We invite each other to take up all the space that our greatness requires, and we create safety for each other as we struggle against the dominant narrative that tells us that we have to shrink in order to fit. These are our stories. These are your stories, and I am so glad that you're here. Today's interview is the second in a four-part series with the models from The Beautiful Project. In part one, we heard from Amber. Amber is the executive director of a local nonprofit, and she shared the ways that she's developed to compensate or distract from the fact that she navigates the world in a larger body. We also talked about what might be possible for Amber if she were able to internalize the idea that her body is the thing that has carried her to do all of her magnificent things and not something that she has to compensate for. It was a great chat that reminded me about how resilient we are, about how we have this extraordinary capacity to turn our pain into something that changes the world. And speaking of resilience, today's episode is a powerful lesson in what is possible when we allow ourselves to step into our own power. We got to sit down with Danielle, a warrior woman who tends to come out swinging. Danielle talks about what it was like to be the only black body on her block growing up, of realizing the power her body held during her college years, and of longing to find a place of balance as she navigates the world as a mama to two young kids. Danielle is honest and tough and tender, and she lets all of that come through during our time together. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So here she is, friends, Danielle, our warrior woman. All right, Danielle. <laughs> this, I is, it. this is, I know, honey, you're a This is my friend, Danielle. Danielle and I met, um, real crazy story, actually. I mean, it's really random. So I had a friend in college, and I went to a super conservative Catholic college. Right. Let that sink in. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Different life time. So, uh, when I came out when I was 33, I actually cut ties with almost all those people because I didn't feel um, like I had the courage to deal with what they were going to say. I could barely handle doing it for my... I could just barely handle my own stuff then. So, I'd lost touch with this particular friend, and she found me years later. And she was lovely, actually. We had a wonderful, a mostly wonderful conversation. Um, and so we had reestablished connection. And then one day she messages me and she's like, hey, I, one of my really great friends is moving to Rock Island. Do you live close to Rock Island? I'm like, weird, I live in Rock Island. And so she tells me about Danielle. And she's like, I love her with my whole heart. So they're in San Diego. My friend's in San Diego. Mm-hmm. From San Diego, sadly, to Rock Island. <laughs> oh, wow. What a shit. <laughs> <laughs> this poor girl. <laughs> so, um, I, we took us a couple months. Yeah, she got mm-hmm. settled and things, and then I messaged her, and 
we had dinner and went to a book study and we've been having food together ever mm-hmm. since. She dragged my ass to Orange Theory for a couple of months. <laughs> I injured my right knee. Oh. So that was fun. Fun times. <laughs> yeah. The run. That was before the butt run. It was right before the butt run. Yes. Yeah, I was in a lot of pain. It's actually still there, kind of. So <laughs> but we... Um, we would go, we would work out and then we would go have dinner together. And, um, we established this relationship from that. And from the beginning, uh, Danielle's spirit is a warrior spirit. It always has, but it's, it's always struck me that way. And so I knew instantly that I wanted her to be a part of this project with me. And she was a very willing participant. So my beautiful friend, welcome. And I want to know if you remember the first time that you realized that your body was different from other bodies around you. Um, I was in elementary school, and it was a mostly white neighborhood, so I always knew my body was different, because my color was different. Um, and so the elementary school I went to, it was diverse for the area, mm-hmm. um, but I was tallest person in, like, first grade and second grade and third grade. And, um, I started developing early, really early. And in second grade, I had B-cups. And I would get teased so bad. You said second grade, you had B-cups? Yeah. Okay. About it. And they would tease me and say that I was sucking my own breasts to make them bigger. Mm. And so from that moment on, I just hated my breasts. (laughs) I never had a love-love relationship with them. Um, So yeah, elementary school. When I was just taller than everybody. and So you were four or five, and you were seven, six or seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are, um, like, those are the imprint ages, you know? Mm. You stamp things on our psyche that we don't seem to undo. Mm. So, is it safe to say, then, that your, so the way your body was Mm -hmm. made it feel like you didn't belong? Yeah. I just felt like, um, yeah, I didn't belong. We were the only, um, black family on our block, and, um, so that was hard, the racial slurs, and then... On top of that, just being the tallest, the biggest one. And I mean, when you're when you're in elementary school, you know, kids, they have their things, they say their things, and there's a lot of fighting, you know? But I couldn't fight girls, because it just wasn't a fair fight. <laughs> so I would fight boys, <laughs> and then I could get my frustrations out, you know? So I, I got this, um, I just was angry at being teased, because I was bigger, and I was already developing, and... There's nothing I can do about it. Right. So that was when you were in grade school mm-hmm. and you came out swinging, mm-hmm. which is, does not surprise me even a little bit. <laughs> like I said, it's my warrior friend. Uh, so tell me how that played out then. So you, I mean, it's, so that's the imprint age where mm-hmm. we stamp things in people's psyche and then it plays out. Our narrative continues to like repeat, right? Mm-hmm. So um, tell me about you know, when everybody, so coming of age, when everybody else started to get boobs and you're starting to like try to manage boys and mm-hmm. that whole phase. I became like a tomboy. I just wore baggy clothes a lot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was really skinny until um, college. Like I was tall, like maybe 5'9", 145 pounds mm-hmm. for the longest. I was really, really skinny. But I would always say like I looked like a pencil with two knobs, like just huge knobs. And then I just, so I, I dressed like a tomboy, baggy pants, baggy clothes a lot um, until college. And then I think that's when I was like, I'm a woman, hear me roar. I just, 
accepted my own sexuality. And um, I think a lot of times boys were intimidated. Mm. And so I just refused to make myself insecure for their intimidation. What, what, what happened? I mean, like, what shifted? Was there a story? Is there a thing? I don't know. Just an energy you woke up one day and you were like, I'm done. Yeah. Hmm. I can't think if there was an exact story or energy. Um, I was with this guy in high school and we broke up while I was in college and he became kind of crazy. He would stalk me and call me and just craziness and so when that relationship was done I was just like screw it I'm just gonna be who I want when I want with whoever I want and mm. I did that and I did that mm. I so <laughs> that's so good so do you think the experience of um I try to get at this question I'm gonna uh so you went from like this sort of self-loathing place right and then you swung the pendulum swung to like fuck off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you think the fuck off place was like body inclusive or was it still like a in spite of my body I'm gonna be a badass or whatever I'm gonna get what I want or was there like integration of your body in that process or were you still kind of going yeah this is my body but do you know what I mean yeah, um, I think I used my body. Mm. It became part of the fuck off because mm. I knew that the triple D cups that all the guys loved at this point in college, right. you know right. what I mean? So yeah. I flaunted it. So it was, yeah. this is my body, this is, this is me. Yeah. You love it. But I'm in control of whether or not you can participate. Well, that's pretty empowered, actually. Mm, yeah. That's a decent, that's... That's a way to, like, leverage. That's a, Yeah, no, that's good stuff right there. Um, so have you kept that? Has that stayed with you? Yeah, I did eventually have breast reduction because <laughs> they just got too big. With every pregnancy, they got bigger and bigger. Yeah. Right. Um, so I had a breast reduction almost two years ago this summer, last summer, two, three, yeah, two years ago. Um but I, I, and, and now I just, I don't have that full empowerment that I had in college because I don't have that body I had in college. Mm. You know, your my body changed. So it's, now it would be the butt. Mm. <laughs> in college, it was the and. Mm-hmm. It's no longer an and. It's a butt now. It's a butt now. Like I'm all these great things. But, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Do you think you want an and experience? Yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so besides the breast reduction, what have you done to change your body? Oh, I used to take pills. Um, Incidentally, what kind? Because we had this conversation. Yeah, we did. Is it thin? Yeah, the speed and feminine. And then, yeah. So what's interesting about that, for anybody who hasn't read the blog, how this happened, mm-hmm. how this conversation happened is, actually how the Beautiful Project was born was this experience I had with a physician <laughs> who prescribed speed for me and I have no other indicator of like needing to reduce my body weight besides my body weight so mm-hmm. and the, the side effect of that would have been uh, liver and kidney damage and all sorts of things and I went what the fuck is that what the fuck is that <laughs> I don't if an entire lifetime of thinking got me to this place 
where this is a solution, I need the fuck off this train because that's insane. So anyway, that was my experience. And so <laughs> I had published that and Danielle read it mm-hmm. and we had a conversation about mm-hmm. it. And we were like, good for you because mm-hmm. I took the pills. Yeah, I took them. What was, tell me about that experience. Um, it was, so, I mean, yeah, you have to have your liver and your kidneys tested every so often because they damage your liver and your kidneys. And you can't even take them long term because they can put a hole in your heart. And I was just like, oh, well, I I can lose weight, though. (laughs) You know, that's the important part. Mm -hmm. And so I took them for a while and I did boot camp classes and I, um, I worked my butt off and I lost weight and it came back (laughs) as soon as I got pregnant. So it was just like... I did all that. I risked all that. And even now, still, I'm like, if I could just get a prescription for those pills, I could lose this weight. And I would be happy. Were you happy? No. No. I only put that out because I think, again, it goes back to that mess of things above our heads. There's an illusion about once I get to the body destination, Mm -hmm. I will... This is... I mean, Mm -hmm. is this not the equation? Yeah. The body body destination equals happy. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is a, the literal pot of gold at the end of the stupid rainbow. There are no leprechauns. There's no pot of gold. But no. we keep chasing it, right? Because you just answered me. I know I got there and I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. Because now you're, you're, you're trying to stay there. And you can't enjoy life right. staying there. Like, it's not. Right. Because yeah. then it becomes an end to itself. Right. Yeah. In order to stay thin, I have to be obsessed with staying thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no other space for mm-hmm. anything else. Yeah. So that didn't really work. Hmm. Okay. What do you think it means to be full? So I grew up in the church. It's not obvious, I know, but I did. <laughs> sort of like my super Catholic education. <laughs> really not obvious. <laughs> the best way I can equate it to is goes back to like that moment after praise and worship where the choir, the choir still has the end of that song in their voices Mm. and you just felt like you were fed by the gods and Mm. the praise and worship was manna it was just everything and you're not thinking about anything you're not worrying about anything you're in that praise and worship moment Mm -hmm. and you're just filled with exhilaration connected to something bigger than you connected to something bigger than you that's exactly Mm. I know that feeling Mm. that's good I can actually feel that feeling (laughs) That was awesome. Do you think you have permission to do that now? To be full like that now? <sighs> I know it's complicated. I know. Sorry. I have all the hard questions. Um, I feel like I have permission. I don't have time. It doesn't feel like I have time. Mm. Or enough... Enough of myself to seek that fullness. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like, you know, life just pulls you in a million different directions Mm -hmm. and I don't know I just don't feel like I I, or even maybe it's not even time or or like myself it's just like the knowledge that fullness is just it's not realistic Mm. sustaining it isn't Mm. your state in life right now is one of it's one of the places so she has young kids um and at ages that demand all the things out of her. I think about the sort of fullness that I feel today and whether or not I could have gotten there when my kids were six, four, and two. I know theoretically I could have gotten there, 
but I literally don't know where, to your point, I don't know where it would have come from. Right. I wonder how we can do a, I wonder how we as a chorus of courage can do, can plug into that for moms who are, um, who are literally being called to dump yourself out mm-hmm. all the freaking time. Maybe we'll do something with that. I don't know. I feel it cooking around now. I think this is also going back to the thing of allowing ourselves permission, though. So I think you, you I mean, do you allow yourself permission to be full? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think many of us do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if we would, we would make the time. We would right. do the things that matter to us right. instead of always what's for someone else. And you would ask other people to step up to do the things that you can't do. I think you would demand that. Right. And I, so that's why I think we as, I think a lot of times it's just women in general, just that permission right. to, to put myself, my needs first. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's a guilt that goes along with it. Absolutely. It's and there's this societal, like mm-hmm. this, they have created this, mm-hmm. that females need to do this. Mm. This isn't okay to ask someone else. You need to find a way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So I think that it goes, it's partly, how do we change society's view on that? How do we get them to accept that it's okay for you to be full? Full for you, not full for someone else, but full for you. Mm-hmm. That your children's needs don't have to come first. Because if you aren't full, your kids are getting second-rate you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said something important there. You said, I don't know how we change society's well, vision, but I wonder how we start with us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start, how do I change my own I think that might be more of the sitting with the feeling of the guilt, sitting with it and just going, okay. And seeing, it's kind of like sifting. You ever sifted something? Like, you know, you sift it out and if you just give it time, right, you're left with this sediment and you can deal with that. But sometimes I think those things, the guilt or the not enough or if we did less avoidance of it because it's not going to change or whatever, maybe just letting it move through you. Because you're right, I think I think it has to be self-given permission mm-hmm. for fullness. And it's funny because if I were to ask you, do you think I deserve to be full? Yeah. Duh. Right? Easy. It's easy mm-hmm. for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to tell us about? <laughs> Thank you. I adore you. <laughs> That's it for part two. Danielle, thank you for sharing your story with us. I know that other women will find themselves in your words. Join us back here next week to hear part three with Ramessa. Rue dives into the intersection between culture, religion, and how we understand belonging. She cracks herself wide open to let us see some of the parts of her that are still a bit raw from the experience of trying to be one whole integrated person in spite of what other people might think about that. If you think you might want to hear more stories from women about their bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. If you loved today's episode, take a second and leave a review so that other people will be able to find us. You can find out more information about the beautiful project in the show notes. Thank you for joining us today and lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. See you all soon.